Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. Check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code UNDERMINE for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. We are back with Undermine, and it's episode 12. Welcome. We just hit a dozen episodes of Undermine season four, and we hope you're all enjoying it. As you know, during this season of Undermine, we'll be discussing some big shows of the 90s with show highlights. So if you didn't have time to do the homework, you can always listen to them afterwards. It would be awkward, though, if you tried to play this particular show while we're talking, mostly because the lassie whistling might make you go crazy. Um, my co-host today is Osiris CEO, RJB. Hi, RJ. Hello, Thomas. Um, I knew we'd finally get here um, to my favorite fish jam of all time. That's a spoiler <laughs> alert, or maybe not an alert, just a spoiler. And it's it's basically the reason that I want to do this season, just so we could do this episode. So now we're, we're finally here. Um, you know, it's interesting. Every show we're talking about this season is amazing. Like, I feel like every show we've talked about, we come away being like, wow. I mean, and that's sort of the point. But this one for me completely changed everything. Um, this is 122994 from Providence, Rhode Island. And, you know, this show's all about the David Bowie. It's one of the most revered and longest fish jams of all time. Um, like I said, it happens to be my favorite. But it, it's also a show that's significant in other ways that I don't always think about. I typically just listen to the Bowie over and over, but it was the night before Fish's first show at Madison Square Garden, yeah. the end of this huge year, right? I mean, 94 was this year when Fish was really just touring nationally in amphitheaters and large venues for the first time. It was the birth of these this kind of type two jamming. It was the year they released Hoist, their most commercially successful album up to that point. And I know we're going to talk about where you were in, in 94, Tom, and, and all of this, but there's just like, it's just such a great show. And I think it, um, I think it helps put this whole, whole era in perspective. Absolutely. I'm honored to be here uh, for your very favorite fish jam, RJ. 
I've, I've talked to Tom about this gym a lot. It's been some, some one-way conversations, but now we'll have a two-way conversation about it. All right. So um, if you're enjoying this season and thanks for all the, all the feedback and all the comments and all the, the social media messages, it's really helpful to hear from everyone. Um, but please consider subscribing to Osiris premium on Apple, where you can get ad-free podcasts, bonus episodes and more. Okay, Tom, we have a really, really friendly guest today. Uh, we do. Um, one of the uh, our, our best uh, Osiris podcasts is called Broke Down Podcast, and it's hosted by our guest. His name is Jonathan Hart, and he's co-hosted the Helping Friendly podcast also since 2014. He is a longtime fan, a friend, and also a musician. And let me bring him in from the waiting room right now. And welcome, Jonathan, to Undermine. Hey, guys. Hey, Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So here we are in December 1994, and we're so happy to talk to people that are actually at the show that we're talking about. Uh, we've had a few <laughs> we've had a few misses where we uh, I'm not going to blame our guests, but uh, I'm going to blame our research department. Um, and <laughs> people have shown up who, for whatever reason, weren't at the show that we were talking about. But this isn't the case. Could you tell us? <laughs> Could you tell us what was your fish journey up to this point? Well, I had been listening to fish in earnest for at least a couple of years. And this was my third show. My first being that fall, October 8th. And my second being the night before this one at 1228 in Philadelphia. And that had already been, that was pretty great. And then we had a, uh, disturbing exciting drive post show all the way up to providence after that to be in place for this one disturbing uh, it was an adventure uh once we figured out that we didn't want to go all the way to atlantic city and we got pointing into the right direction um <laughs> pre-gvs yeah. uh then you know i drove what is it four and a half hours to providence in the middle of the night and the car decided to die on us on the way a little bit, yeah. but I fixed it with a swift kick and, <laughs> and it got us the rest of the way there and home. Wow. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Jonathan, you, so you were living in Virginia at the time? Yes. And, and you still are? I still am. Um, how, why, why that show or why those two shows? Like what, how did that end up? how did you end up in, in Providence? So you know, I still believe it was a good idea to split my time with fish and Grateful Dead. And so that's mm -hmm. what I was doing in the fall. I saw fish in my backyard, basically, in October, and then spent the next three nights at the Cap Center. And that was, we still call that best week ever. And uh, and then when the New Year's run was announced, I just, I looked at it, and I was like, well, we can go to Philly. We should go to at least another. I didn't really have a lot of money. Uh, certainly not staying in Manhattan money or, you know, going to Boston money. So we <laughs> chose to go to Providence and turn around and come home. I don't know if it was a great idea to skip the other two shows, but at least we went to the first two and I have no regrets about that. That is great. Well, I, so I want to just, we're going to talk about the set two in, in detail a little bit later, but you know, we've talked about this show at length, you and I have on other podcasts, and I'm still just like amazed that you were able to be there. I, people have said that to me about like Dayton 97 or, you know, other shows, mostly 97 shows, but I, I just can't imagine 
this this sort of experience. And I want to know, just thinking about the first set, um, before because, we get in. Is that, yeah. RJ, because you hang out with people roughly your age and, and uh, Dayton 97 is like the people your age group start going to fish shows? Probably. I mean, I think there are some younger fans who, you know, there's so many new fish fans, you know, over the past five years or so that there are people who were like, you know, seven years old in 97. So they're exactly. like, yeah. it's so cool that you were at these shows. Um, and right. yeah, it's, it is interesting though. Like I, there's also just like the people who are so 97 centric, which is probably a lot of the people listening and watching this because that's, that's where we're going. You know? We are going to focus on 97. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, I guess I got 14 or, uh, or, or 15 years on you, RJ. So yeah, like hearing someone say that they're at this show doesn't surprise me, but I know I, I yeah. kind of get, get what you're talking <laughs> right. about. Yep. Right. yep. Jonathan, you, you, you've said this uh, last when we were talking before, but the kind of opening of this show, and I, I want to kind of talk about the first set and then more context and then get into the second set. This, this combo of runaway gym foam, if I could, to me, just amazing, combo to open the show beautiful versions that was like i mean could you tell at that point in your fish going career that this was a that this was a like a special show unfolding i think you kind of can and i think maybe i did so you can hear in runaway gym that trey's kind of pushing against it he's trying to lean against the rails a little go off of them but you can hear it's there and it's a really nice transition into foam and you know that pairing gym foam wasn't crazy at the time uh but it was a great opener and yeah you i obviously had no idea what's to come but you could tell that they were feeling good and the night before had been very solid so that was also a good indicator and uh and then if i could that's my still my only version of that song no way, nice. really? Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. Great first set. Um, as RJ mentioned, uh, this is the, the night before their first show at MSG. And then uh, you mentioned, Jonathan, they kind of bouncing around a little bit. It was a weird New Year's run in terms of travel for the band and, and obviously for the fans. Um, you wound up in Atlantic City almost. Um, it started. <laughs> it started in Philly on the 28th which I went to, and then this night in Providence, which I missed because that's up north, knowing that on the 30th, they were coming back down to me in MSG. And I went to that uh, with my wife. Uh, we, back then, we had floor seats. I'm not a floor seat guy anymore because there are no floor seats anymore. There's no seats. Yeah. yeah. Back then, the floor had rows and rows of folding chairs, and it was, it was great. But uh, the cool thing about that day, and I know we're talking, um, I'm I'm talking the next day now, the 30th, and we're going to get back to this show. But Trey had given me one ticket for uh, David Letterman, which taped earlier at 5 p.m., so I got to go to that. And I just awesome. wanted to mention that they played um, Chalk Dust Torture, which was good for me, uh, but everyone was expecting something, I think, from Hoist. 
and uh, you know, like Sample or Down with Disease or Julius with Horns or something. But Letterman apparently uh, requested Chalk Dust personally and said that it was his favorite, um, which was kind of unusual. And, and they're like, you know, how do you say they, no to that? Exactly. How can you say no if if he if he requests that? So um, back to this night in Providence, um, the atmosphere is festive and you can hear it from the band and it almost sounds like a, a New Year's show in itself. Do you sense that kind of, Jonathan? I mean, it was festive. Everybody was very excited. It was weird too outside. So it was, of course, Philly had been not warm. Providence was cold and there's no real lot per se. It was all parking garages mm. and I definitely spent a not insignificant amount of time lost in parking garages that afternoon. <laughs> um, but uh, after the wait to get in, you know, we were, we were just excited and we sat behind Fishman and very low right behind John Fishman and uh, had just an amazing view and everybody was pumped. Everybody was pumped. And, you know, they just kept up the energy with uh, split open and melt, which gets kind of properly weird not too deeply and so um, fast too yeah so fast it's amazing um. Silent is really good. Uncle Penn rips. I just love, I love that. I love all the bluegrass numbers though. And uh, Trey introduces Fish as Luke Skywalker, and I didn't know. <laughs> such a <laughs> such a wild time. And then Possum is, I guess, straight ahead, but just an absolute rage fest, right? It's got this the the whole thing. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording. We'll talk about it about the second set, but. Even the possum and the and the split open and melt have these like dark. They're in these like dark kind of. This is like the really beginning of evil fish in in '94. You know, um, a lot of those fall '94 jams have that, and I, I do think this is kind of like the beginning of type two improv. You know, like summer fall '94, and I feel like you're hearing this like weird. It, it stays pretty dark um, throughout the first set in, in some of those jams. It really does. And, you know, they spent time dabbling, is dabbling the right word, pushing into those areas in the fall tour. And so I, I just feel like it was almost like a switch on Trey's guitar. They could just go there at this point. They were already just ready to kind of veer into weird, dark spaces if they wanted. There's a tradition, a long tradition of musicians like selling their soul to be able to play you know what i mean and it's like if you're in the right headspace and you often are at fish shows or at least my friends were and me, yeah <laughs> um <laughs> uh you can almost convince yourself that you know they're they're somehow veering into an evil place but coming out with more talent but but they're trading something for it 
And we're dabbling. there watching, witnessing the transaction. <laughs> and dabbling in the dark arts backstage yes. and it's just <laughs> percolating out onto the, onto the audience. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's amazing. Like it is a really bal it's a really well balanced first set. You know, you have these, like these quiet, beautiful moments. You have these, these crazy jams. I mean, it just, it's such a good first set. And I will admit like, typically I, I just go and I listen to the Bowie, you know, once every few months, but it's a really good, it's a really good and well-balanced show and the, the energy and the festive nature, like Tom Sutter. I mean, it's just so listening to the whole show. You can just feel it. It's just like, it, it's just very exciting. I mean, it's a complete show. They they do not fail to let up from the beginning to the end. It just happens to have this massive <laughs> presence in second set. <laughs> massive presence. Okay, well, I think we're going to do a quick ad break and we're going to do it now. Do it now. We're right back. And we are back. So, Jonathan, we were talking a little bit earlier about this Fall 94. There's some huge gems in Fall 94, like the some that were significant enough to be featured on a live one. And, you know, there's there's a lot that happened that fall. But this to me is the is the is the biggest. Um, can you can you set the stage for us, um, so to speak, in terms of the the beginning of the second set and and just the your thoughts on the Bowie going into it? Well, I. I can't not mention the perfect Gaiuti that opened. This is, as I mentioned earlier, this is my third show. This is also my second Gaiuti. Um, the first Gaiuti I saw was the second Gaiuti. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> and uh, and so I, w I was excited to see it again. And it they it a hundred percent delivers. It is, like I said, a perfect example of what this song can do. And um, and they do that and we're all very pumped like yes set two that was awesome what now and then trey starts making weird noises um yes <laughs> and i don't think i was familiar with the phrase or title digital delay loop jam that fish.net tags on here at the time but i kind of knew what trey was doing But it didn't register as anything more than a very cool, very weird thing that was going to become something else. I was like, oh, they're just starting weird. Okay. I'm, I'm there for that. Um, and then Fishman kind of told us what song we were going to hear with this. You know, so we right. knew we, what we were in for. Some of us, somebody called Maze, right? That that digital that digital delay. Um, I feel like it comes back. Like, do they ever use it in other things? Have you guys heard it? It it, it seems like it's like maybe they use it for something in their live streams or something. Anyway, I feel like they've reused it in something, but I don't. I I can't tell you what. But it's it's great, and I keep expecting the whole band to join in. But instead, they play the weird kind of Bowie intro on top of it. They don't ever right. kind of. I expected yeah. Fishman just to just jump in with that that rhythm, and he doesn't. Yeah, it's no, wild. they just kind of let Trey roll with it and yeah. support it. 
and then just build around it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which works well. And to your question, Tom, there is in uh, on fish.net, there is a digital delay loop jam sort of song entry. And it's, it's been, it was basically 10 times between 94 and 97, but there are pieces of that, like that. I think I know you're saying like there, it, well, and, and then there's like the Dave's energy guide sort of thing, which oh, also is, yeah. is a little bit referenced here. Although, you know, that could start a, a large debate. There are definitely people who wrote Dave's energy guide in their notes for this. And yeah. I think there were probably some behind the scenes fish.net fights about it. But <laughs> I, I think this is definitely a digital delay loop jam or David Bowie intro, extended yeah. David Bowie intro. But it's something different. Yeah. It's something very different. And even up to like nine minutes in, so they go through the song structure and then there's this like quiet part that, but it's still like very unsettling, you know? And there's there between like the minutes nine and 16, there's just this like brooding darkness. It's almost, I can't even really explain it, but I know that like 12 months prior to this, there's no way something like this would have been played by this band. It's just like, it's all this. I don't even call new... it darkness. They're like, they're like opening the doors. They're op- they're inviting evil into the room. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. It's like a, it's a summoning ceremony. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> in and, fact, maybe that's what we should rename digital delay loop jam. Yeah. To summoning ceremony. ceremony. <laughs> Um, there that 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 Mike's like where it sounds like Mike starts playing almost like 2001 right yeah at some yeah. point in there and that feels to and, me like we're like tr- sitting in on band practice and I don't know what the fuck's going on so, Trey is almost on board with that 2001 kind of thing um but yeah there's a lot of really cool spaces achieved very early when they before they completely drop out of tempo um you know, Paige moves over to the synthesizer like 13 minutes in. Um, that's right before the 2001 thing. So then there's this thing that I label in my notes as the devil march uh, <laughs> that happens, you know, in like the 12 minutes. And then again, it comes out of like it, it leads into that 2001. Mike changes it. So that's when Trey kind of hints at 2001 and it kind of builds with this into these ascending chords and speeds up. But none of that kind of continues for very long. They're all very close together. So Trey just evolves into feedback. Paige goes back to piano. And then really only Fish is keeping it up. And there's that moment of intense peaks at like 19 minutes or so. It was just about the most Bowie thing that has happened since they finished the intro section, right? Uh, and yeah. then that's when it really drops out and it sounds kind of like McGrupp. Yeah.
I mean, I, I, I gotta say, going back to that, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how many times I listened to this jam, but today, um, I was thinking the, the communication happening between the band between like minutes 16 and 20 or so, like right before what the, where, right before page picks up that piano yeah. solo, um, it just, you can tell that they're all listening to each other and reacting to what the others are doing in like this very quiet, but like forceful way. It's, it's not like, a Trey's kind of hanging back and maybe that's why it's so, it seems so quiet, but you can, t- you can hear them communicating with each other. The like, ability, really intently. their ability to uh, recognize where they are in the song, you know, they're all counting and, but they don't think that they're counting. They don't think about it. They just are. And they all know exactly where, and that gives them the ability almost, uh, it, you know, supernatural ability to play with silence right? No one's jumping in on top of anyone else. It's like they know exactly where they are in the, in the songs and, and, they, and they also know each other so well that, that it doesn't feel like, I think, if the three of us picked up instruments and tried to do that, we'd be jumbling on top of each other. You know, I mean, I'm assuming that we're all experts even at our craft. We <laughs> right. still wouldn't be able to Big do assumption. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, meanwhile, John, Jonathan's the only one that probably comes close to that. But, uh, <laughs> no, and, not me. And, no, not no, me. but it's like it's it's something in addition to being a great musician. And you're yeah. right. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Well, so, again, I think a lot of credit should go to Fishman through a lot of this, because until they get to what I labeled as gooey, formless space, like he never lets up off of, at minimum, a little hi-hat tap. He is giving them something, some sort of basis. Now, whether they're playing in the same time signature as Fishman is, yeah. he's just giving them like one, two, three, you know, he's just giving them something and they're... <laughs> yeah all over the map around it and working off of each other. And then, yeah, they get to that McGrupp bit and, uh, you know, page kind of has the lead on the piano. It's a beautiful piano passage. Gorgeous. Trey's just playing chords and then, then page settles out and even Mike, he's grooving against Fishman's tempo, which is that it's Mike's groove that kind of gives it sort of the McGrupp feel. Right. And then, then he lays out, and suddenly we are in that space. Yeah, and I then mean, the whistling. Well, I was going to say that 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 transcendent, beautiful jam that preceded the weirdness was for me like, okay, guys, end here. We already kind of basically touched the evil side. This is a great way to end. <laughs> Absolutely could have too. They rise into yeah. that peak. There's yeah. no way reason why they couldn't have said Trey could have just hit whatever it is or fish or somebody could have indicated now we finish the song. Yeah. But they Instead. didn't. But they didn't. It's so amazing. That's like this pure transcendent bliss that would be for, for most musicians probably a career highlight. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's then there's like, you know, then there's ten more minutes of of just wow um they start, with, thing, they start with whistling whistling right, right? and it's so kind of 
it's disturbing. It's very the, disturbing. Yeah, they're calling something, and then you realize that it's it's like the ghost of Lassie. But uh, Trey, you know, Lassie means girl, and Trey says, "Here, boy." Like, I don't know if Trey doesn't. I didn't know that Trey didn't know that Lassie is a girl. <laughs> so there's like, it, it feels like multiple dog type references. There's a bit earlier yeah. in, you know, before the bliss jam where they might could have gone towards dog log, but then Trey did his more of his devil March thing. <laughs> and, uh, and then here and they're whispering and going here, boy, it's a little more Harpua ish. And my uh. friends around me were just losing their minds and, and one of them says are we gonna get harpua and i looked at him i said nah <laughs> but not maybe gonna, not gonna happen <laughs> I, we might have right but maybe. absolutely um, maybe right <laughs> there there is in the whispering i, I heard it clearly Sometimes I listen on like home speakers and you don't hear everything that they're saying during the kind of whispering part. But at one point, Trey says a couple of times, I'm going to climb inside your head and fuck with you. And then yeah. <laughs> that's like a line he repeats a couple of times. And I just think that really personifies this evil fish. It's really great on AirPods because then he really yeah. is doing that. Exactly. He's really climbing in. <laughs> so what was happening in the audience at this time during this, like, I mean, during this end last 10 minutes where it is really just like, it's, it's. People, have, I, my experience looking at the people around me and the few people I could see up front, people were losing it. Like it was not everybody. Some people were probably puzzled. Uh, but the people who I was with, they were um, clinging to reality only barely. And, uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a, a ride for them. I don't want to say it was rough. They all made it. Um, but it was and, and I was reasonably sober uh, just mostly because I was so sleep deprived from the night before and the day. I, it. it blew my mind i was just completely astounded but i was in just engrossed watching them get up on the mic and whisper and you know and all the little whistles and the things and and like what are we doing and then the ch the chant that do it now do it now and then mike just goes and yeah. just completely wrinkled the entire room everybody just was shocked out of their like the quiet um, the reverie into some sort of, you know, it was, it was stunning when he did that. <laughs> 
it, it was great. And then that's when they start heading back. Trey starts getting some feedback on his guitar. And then suddenly we're back into the outro to Bowie. It's a beautiful, um, well-played ending too. It's almost yeah. like that, like they're, they're just magically in sync, like the whole time. It just proves that they're always in sync. It's, it's incredible. I, I, I have to talk about like, again, like the magic they were invoking from the dark side or something. Um, you know, you know, that saying where they, where anything you can't explain could be explained as magic. Sure. And, and, and I think this song, this Bowie jam, this 1294 Providence Bowie kind of makes you wonder how can a band have the ability and the confidence and the skill to improvise something like this in front of a, a live audience and, and it truly is what's magic about fish. And in the early nineties, their magic was on full display. The world was starting to realize, you know, fans were enduring impossible travel conditions to go to every show they could to not miss a jam like this. And, uh, you know, I'm just from the point of view of my, my Princeton, New Jersey pals that were friends with Trey, we'd witnessed Trey's band, you know, become a sensation. And, and this kind of show and song made us realize that that's, that's what happened. Well, I think one of my favorite things about this, other than the music itself, is that as they, they finish and it ends beautifully, as you said, and the audience goes nuts <laughs> and the band takes a bow on stage in the middle of the set. Yes. Because <laughs> they knew. They knew. <laughs> they knew what had just happened. I mean, maybe they couldn't have explained it, but they knew that they had just been somewhere and come back. A bow is a thank you, right? Is it a, is it a, a, a you're welcome or a thank you? Like they're almost thanking yes. the audience for taking the trip with them. They could have walked off the stage after that bow and not <laughs> one person would have been, well, okay, let me rephrase. Somebody would have been looking at their watch going, come on. But um, David Steinberg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let me see you, timer. Um, but, but most folks wouldn't have even known until they were at their car what, you know, what had just happened. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah. They recognized the moment they shared it with us and maybe they were just appreciative that as they were tinkering with dynamics, we were allowing them to, and yeah. not, you know, that's amazing. Shouting for Freebird during the whistling section or whatever. <laughs> right. right. It is very bow, quiet. Mid set bow is amazing. Yeah. How many times do you guys think that's happened? 
a mid set like, bow? Yeah. Not many, right? I only know the one. Yeah. I don't know of any others offhand. I, I wonder if this was the only. Again, um, our Osiris research department has to start figuring that out. Yeah. Um, but then, but then they decide to just like they'll just keep. Then they pl- they'll play Haley's Comet. <laughs> it's sort of awkward to like play a song after this, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah, like, what it's do a, you do? It's a perfect song. It's like yeah. it's upbeat. It's a it's light. We needed that. Yeah. It was you know a, a right. light rock and dance number. Yep. <laughs> Outstanding. I was, particularly the people who were. Um, feeling a bit harder uh they they needed some brightness to come out to and it was they gave it to us it was it was honestly great great placement great pacing cool. um and i i say that for the rest of the show the lizards is just beautiful it wasn't very rare in 94 but you know also a perfectly played and placed lizards always welcome yeah and uh and then we get fishman worth noting we got Basically, two Fishman things this show. We got I didn't know in the first set with the vacuum, and then we get Cracklin' Rosie. No vacuum, but he's got the symbols. Yeah, <laughs> right. Bah, bah. And That's, yeah, and he cited uh, MSG. He's like Neil Diamond has played this song so many times. He's probably played it in Madison Square Garden. Little nod to the next night. Yeah, and then they play it. They were definitely it, thinking about it. Yep, for yeah, sure. It's yeah, it's on their minds. Yeah. Awesome. Tom, Tom, you kind of got to this before, but um, you started talking about it just in terms of like a not missed show. I'm just wondering, do you, do you guys see any historical significance to this show and, and sort of the, the point that it marked um, besides just having this just really epic jam in it? Jonathan, I'll let you answer that because I kind of did that. My feeling was that you know, the Bowie gives a nod to this this era, you know. Um, but in terms of the show itself, you might be able to come up with a significance to this particular show. Well, I, I mean, I, and I think you're right that this this Bowie is kind of the, this is what we've done this past fall, what we've learned to achieve the, in 1994. And often look at the New Year's runs as being that, like, recap, look back at mm-hmm what they've done and sometimes that informs the gag at new years or what have you. And, uh, I feel like this David Bowie does that. And, you know, it's not the first really big, really amazing David Bowie of the year. They did one. It was 1126 in Minneapolis and some, there are, there are those who would argue that one's superior to this one. I feel they're wrong, but they're entitled to be wrong. Uh, I mean, to have that opinion. <laughs> and <laughs> I think this is, it's a, it is a landmark show. It's, it's also a perfect example of fish doing, uh, the big thing on the night before the night. So this wasn't the Madison square garden show, which was a huge deal. This is the night before that. And they deliver this jam that maybe wouldn't have been appropriate for your Madison square garden debut. <laughs> right. Maybe. Right. Except right. if you're fish. Right. I mean, I think there, there's something to the, this going on the journey with them sort of thing that, that I think 95, as we'll get into, you know, had many of those, um, especially in the summer, right. These really yeah. intense, intense jams, but this was like a, you guys are, when you come into this show, like you're, you're going on this, 
unique adventure with us. And it's always been like that. But before it was like, maybe it was through Secret Language or through Iculus or Harpua or Mockingbird. This is like, we're going to do things musically that you're not going to hear ever, ever again. And that's just, it's it's kind of awesome to to think about that. So thank you, Jonathan, for uh, helping us, helping me understand this even more. And I, maybe we should just keep We'll just talk about it again in like a couple of weeks. We uh, you know we how to will. find me. We maybe we won't do it on a podcast, but Jonathan and I know <laughs> as RJ's friends that we will be talking about this show again with RJ at some point. But uh, that's it for us today. Um, thanks very much to our special guest Jonathan Hart, and thanks as always to my co-host RJ RJB, and to our fellow executive producers Benji Eisen and Matt Dwyer. We'll be back in three short days, uh, and we will take that leap into 1995. Remember to review and subscribe wherever you listen or watch, and we'll see you in a couple days. Until then, blaze onward. Thank you, guys. Osiris. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs>